you know, God can create an adventure for our lives, make as exciting as he wants to. And I must be a bit of an adventurer. I like the excitement, but I love to come home. I love to come home and just look at you all and see you all and thank God for the family that he's placed me in. And I just, I just pray that you appreciate the family as well. Um, I, I felt God said something. I just put it in the, um, the update this week. You know, when you think about people, you're praying because God searches your heart constantly. And so as you think about different members of the body of Christ and uh, your brothers and sisters, can you make sure you think positive things about them? Because they're prayers to God. I mean, we all do enough bad stuff for people to think bad stuff of us. I understand that. And, and you can think, well, maybe somebody's done something but God, I choose, to, I choose to think good of that person. So when you search my heart, I'm blessing that person. I'm praying constantly for that person. Like Lee said, it was a busy two weeks. <coughs> we travelled about 1,100 miles, uh, ministered for about 60 hours, uh, mostly on the subject of faith. Did a two-day seminar on deliverance, uh, and it was, it was just constant. Uh, there are Sri Lankan folks here. So we started at Colombo in the west. We moved up to Vaunia in the north, uh, back to Balakalore. See how good I'm getting now. <laughs> oh, this is impressive, isn't it? Okay. In the east, back into Kandy uh, in the central region, and then uh, home to Colombo uh, in the end. And God was extremely gracious and faithful to me. I wasn't ill once. Uh, just put whatever was put before me, just at it. Um, praise God for every curry that I had to eat again and again and again and again and again and again and again. I never finished all the rice that was put in front of me. And, and God was just gracious. Uh, on the first seminar, that was on the Wednesday through the day, uh, I got my notes out because I was going to teach on faith because I taught on faith all last year to you. I taught about a series of 16 based on Hebrews 11 and other messages in faith. As I opened the book, I started to try and preach from my notes, and I could say nothing. I was like, it's awful. You know when you stand in front, well, perhaps you don't know, but standing in front of people and you've got something to say, and your head goes like there's nothing in there. It's, it's a bit scary. So this was happening to me. So... I felt God say, just shut the notes, just preach it. Just preach what you know, just preach it. And so I preached this. And then I went, you know, like the disciples used to go back at night, you know, and ask Jesus all the questions. Why couldn't we do this? And what was this all about? And explain this teaching to me. I said, God, what was, it, what was that all about? He said, I don't want you to use your notes at all for the next two weeks. Oh, I tell you, that's scary. That is absolutely scary. So... I thought, okay, I'm teaching on faith. I better live by faith. Faith is hearing God speak and obeying. Hearing God speak and obeying. And so uh, the next day I stood, and there's about 120 delegates, all leaders and teachers and different people. And I start, and I'm fine until I want to move on to the next thing. And it goes completely blank in your head. And there's this desperation 
of God, you've got to give me the next thought or I'll die on this platform because I put my notes aside. I can't rely on them. I can't trust them. And then God comes with the thoughts and it goes and it goes. And, and so the second day was a bit like that. By day three, the word of God just flowed in a supernatural way. Now, I'm not saying God said that to me. I've got some notes here. You see, I'm not saying God is going to do that whole of my life. No. But God spoke. When God speaks, and he speaks all of the time to us, we must respond in obedience to God's word and live by faith. So thank you all for your prayers. My poor team that was with me, uh, Joseph, who is the organiser and translator for me into Singular, uh, his wife and his two daughters, they came. He didn't want to leave them home. Uh, two, one daughter and his wife ended up in hospital. Uh, she had to have a, an operation that cost him a whole month's salary. Uh, the daughter had to have stitches in her head. Uh, he was suffering quite badly. And I said, oh, I've, I've got some tablets in here. And they were uh, some just anodine that might clear it up. Well, I, I gave him these anodine and he was twice as worse. Uh, it made him even worse. He had some sort of reaction to this. So um, I'm, I'm preaching away and I'm looking across at him and he's got his glasses off. I thought, mm, why's he got his glasses off? Then I see these swell, it's swelling under his eyes because he's got his glasses off because he can't keep them on. And uh, poor boy's in agony. So um, I must pray more for my team in future because they nearly all fell apart, God bless them. But they kept going, they kept strong and God saw us through to the end and uh, it was a fantastic time. So with 50, 60 hours of faith, you've got to get a message on faith. I'm sorry about that. Okay, that's just what's in my heart. Um, Daphne preached a couple of weeks ago. She preached on uh, what does love look like? Did you hear it? Yes. yes. What does, uh, uh, I haven't been able to hear it. I've read through her notes. I think it looks excellent. Okay, what does love look like? This is the sequel to this. This is what does faith look like? Um, she picked on a passage in 1 Corinthians 13. It's, it's a very familiar one. It's the one they always read at weddings. Uh, it, it's like defining love. And um, yeah, in the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians 13, it defines love, then it says, Love never fails. And then it says, The gifts of the Spirit of God, they will cease. We will not need them anymore on that perfect day. And then it goes in verse 13, it says, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And I've shared this idea with you before, that this is how God showed it to me, in a sort of an, an idea I had, a picture in my mind. When I step into the next world, when we spend eternity in the presence of God, that's an exciting idea. Uh, when we step into that presence, it's as though I will have an audience with Jesus and I, I went into a room, this is like an anteroom to where Jesus is, and he was waiting to receive me. Uh, but as I got into this room, someone came to me and said, Philip, you have to lay aside all your gifts, because he cannot judge your gifts, because they were a gift. If I've, if I've pastored, or if I've taught, or whatever I've done, but I've been gifted, I cannot take credit for the gifting so I laid all those, and he sort of said to me, Jesus will deal with them later. And so and then I walked into his presence, and 
I took in with me three things. Things that were in my soul, in my very being. They were faith, hope, and love. Can I, can I tell you, that is what you will take into the presence of Jesus in the next world. Nothing else. Nothing else. If this is true, what I'm saying, we have to develop faith, hope, and love in our lives because you will need it in the next world. If you didn't need it, we wouldn't have to take it with us. It wouldn't remain. It would remain here. But we have to take it with us because the, the next world will require faith, hope, and love. And I'm not sure how much you can develop it in the next world. We can develop faith, hope, and love in this world because there's enough things to develop it on and with. So I want to encourage you to develop those uh, three areas of your life. Faith and hope go very much together. Love is what Daphne dealt with, this development of love. It is as though we have reservoirs within us that we have to fill up with love and fill up with faith. If you only fill up with love and not faith, you are a deficient Christian because without faith it's impossible to please God. And, and you're loving, but not from that standpoint of faith. If you fill your heart with faith and no love, there are a couple of passages that says God is not pleased with you at all. Because you'll be able to function in the gifts which he's given you, but to do it without love in your heart, he calls you evil in his sight. Says so that in Matthew uh, 6 or 7, then in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, if we could move in all the gifts of the Spirit but have not love, it profits us nothing. So developing that love is vital. Developing faith is equally as vital in equal amounts. It says in Galatians that faith worketh by love. That is the faith that's acceptable to God. It works by love. What does this faith look like? Have you got any? Are you developing it? How much have you developed? Do you walk according to your senses in this world or do you walk according to faith? How do you know if you're living by faith? What does God require of you? As I've studied this subject, there are three, as it were, levels of faith. We go from faith to faith. If you are believing Jesus Christ this morning as your personal saviour, you have stepped into the realm of understanding and exercising what we call saving or justifying faith. You are believing in a God you've never seen, a Jesus you've never seen, a Holy Spirit you've never seen, a heaven, a hell, demons, angels. You're believing in this invisible world, not by your sense knowledge, but by the Spirit of God. Sometimes we get goosebumps. Goosebumps don't mean anything. I'll tell you that. You know, you can be in a meeting and say, oh, wasn't the Spirit of God there? I got these lovely goosebumps. I get goosebumps watching rugby. It's got nothing to do with feeling. You understand? Sometimes your feelings uh, pick up on something, but it is by this element of faith it is by the Spirit of God that we reach into this other realm and pull it down into our present existence. 
That's what God's called us to. The more we live from our senses, the less we live in the realm of the spirit and the less we live by faith. And we have to develop this faith. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached an amazing sermon, not because it was good in quality. In fact, it was quite ordinary, I think, because he had never preached much before. But it was a sermon that touched the souls of 3,000 people and caused them to come to Christ. And after he preached this sermon, which was empowered by the Spirit of God and preached in faith in his heart, they cried out, what must we do to be saved? And he said two things. He said, you must repent and be baptised. Repentance is about believing. You believe one thing, you live your life in a certain way, then you have a revelation of God, and because you have a revelation of God, you have a revelation of sin, and God doesn't leave you with a revelation of sin, he leaves you with a revelation of a saviour, so you get God, sin, saviour, and now he says, I want you to repent, I want you to believe that this is the process by which you can start a new journey, a new life with me. That's all in the believing realm. But you're not saved by what you believe. Do you realise? Believing something doesn't save you. You're saved by faith. And faith, the other element of faith, is believing and obeying. You must be baptised. You haven't got a choice. You say, no, I can just believe and go to heaven. No, you can't. Because faith isn't in operation. See, you must obey. And what he's instructed us to do is get baptised. Only then are you saved by faith. Now you say, but what happens if I don't? Oh, God will sort that out. Maybe it's the reason you don't. God will know. So this faith that we have, this initial saving, justifying faith, is about believing and obeying, believing and obeying. God, my sermon is not working today. I need to hear from God. Put your notes away, Phil. I have to believe that God has spoken. Then I have to obey. That's how it works. And not just once or twice in a year, in a month, in a week. Every day of your life, we live by faith. It's a life of faith. Some people have just got saved and lived in the secular, lived out of their senses. They haven't developed or exercised faith in their life. They think good thoughts, they're nice people, but there are lots of nice people in the world. Jesus didn't die to make you nice. There are nice Muslims, nice Hindus, nice Sikhs, nice... Atheists, nice agnostics, nice everybody. God didn't die to make you nice. Everyone wants you to be nice. My mum wanted me to be nice, and my school teacher wanted me to be nice, and David Cameron wants me to be nice. That's not what it's all about. It's about a whole different way of living your life. Christianity isn't your life polished up so you look a little bit more presentable. It is a whole new way of living life. Jesus said, I've come to give you life in the full. But the only way you can have the full life is if you walk by faith. That's the way he set it up. No faith, 
no fullness of life. No faith, you'll live out of your senses. You say, I can't do this. This isn't possible. Well, of course it's not in the sense realm. Lots of things aren't possible in the sense realm, but we're not going to live in this realm. We're going to live out of this supernatural realm of faith. Now, no one's making you live it. No one makes you live it. But if you don't live by faith, I tell you something, Christianity is boring. It is nothing more than any other religion, apart from the fact you're born again and going to heaven. But it offers you nothing in this life if you choose to live from your senses and not by faith. It's what turns the lights on. It's what makes real. It's, It's facing impossible situations and saying, praise God. I don't have any money. I used to do this in Sri Lanka. I said, look, I've got no money. Look, look, no money, no money, no money. But you know, it's easier to live by faith if you have no money. Jesus said himself, he says, listen, it's almost impossible if you're a rich man to live by faith. I understand that. Why? Because if you feel that God is saying something, you just do it. And sometimes you just do the things you like because you can afford to do it. It's a wonderful thing to give all your money away and trust God. Oh, you won't do it. Well, you might. You say, I wish I had something to give away. No, you don't. Having nothing is a wonderful place to be. Before we went to Sri Lanka, I knew how much I needed. I needed 3,300 pounds. I didn't have it, but the day I flew out, I had 3,300 pounds. That's just the end of it. I don't want to live any other way. I don't want, I don't want to, be, to be the one to make the decisions. I want God to speak to me. And every time God speaks, my senses will say, I can't do this. See, if I could do it, it's not faith. If you can do it, it's not faith. It's got to be the impossible. It's got to be walking on water. Turning water into wine. Getting coins out of fish's mouths. It's got to be this stuff. Otherwise it's not faith. And not to live by faith of all people, we're most miserable. Nikki has to live by faith. I don't want you to be sick, Nikki. I don't want anyone to be sick. But she lives by faith. She has to. Because the doctors offer so little. The doctors say to Nikki, Nikki, you've got to put up with this for the rest of your life. And she says, that's not the deal that I signed up to when I became a Christian. That's not the deal, Lord. And I'm going to walk by faith and trust you. And all these negative things that come to me, blah, 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 blah. Focus on Jesus and say, no, no, no. We're not healed instantly. We're not always healed completely. But she's walking by faith. She has to. Poor people have to walk by faith. Sick people have to walk by faith. Now, what if you're not sick and you're not poor? How are you going to live by faith? If you have enough money and you have health, you just get on with life. Isn't that sad? Sometimes you have to put yourself in a position where faith is required of you.
Once the disciples were in a boat. And it was early morning. And they saw a ghost coming on the water. I mean, that was scary. And so they, they panicked. They shouted and screamed and looked and looked and looked and looked and looked. And as the ghost came nearer, of course it was Jesus walking on the water. And Peter did the most amazing, crazy, stupid thing you could ever imagine. He said, if it's you, Lord, bid me to come and walk on the water. There was no demand from from Jesus on Peter. Peter put himself in the place where his faith would have to start operating. He said, then come. I bet he thought, ah, I have to go now. Maybe those senses kicked in. The wind, the waves. His companion saying, what have you done? What have you said? What are you doing? Don't do it. Of course, stepping over on the side of the boat is terrifying. I'm standing in front of the people and I haven't got any notes and it's terrifying. (laughs) Or whatever you're doing in your circumstances, you see, you have to be terrified. Where there is faith, there is fear and doubt all around it. That's what gives you the buzz, the thrill. You know what I mean? People live for thrills. When people go in fast cars or jump out of planes or do bungee jumps, it is the moment before they jump that the fear grabs them and there's a rush of something within their being and they live for that rush. The fear that surrounds when you walk by faith is almost tangible. You can smell it. You can feel it. The perspiration increases. And then, of course, you step out. And you're walking in a realm of the Spirit of God. You must, you must want that life. As a church, we must want that life. Otherwise, we have religion. When Paul says, somebody stand and pray and give thanks to Jesus, did anyone want to do that? When he said that. But you think, oh, I think I'll stay put. That's the rush, that's the fear, that's the doubt that comes. You know you want to get up and say something and give thanks to Christ, to God for his death, but you stay seated. Should have got up. That's what faith does. Maybe all of you should have stood up together because faith does that thing. Faith doesn't hide back. Faith doesn't stay hidden. Faith doesn't cling to things. Faith isn't looking for the secure. Faith goes. There is a faith that is called doctrinal faith. 
Doctrinal faith is when we read the word of God and it has a strong suggestion to us, we say, I am going to do this. It says in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Don't worry. That's what it says. Don't worry. You see, there is faith for salvation, then there is what we can call doctrinal faith. Doctrinal faith is putting faith in what God has said in this book. Several times in Sri Lanka I said, how many of you worry? Because you have to ask the question three or four times, and eventually every hand in the hall goes up. And the question is, why do you worry? We worry because we choose not to live by faith. That's it. Is it as simple as that? Um, Yes. If God has declared something is word, verse 25, do not worry. Verse 28, why do you worry? Verse 31, so do not worry. Verse 34, therefore do not worry. How do you miss it? You say, no, we've never missed it, Phil. We just choose not to live by faith. We choose to worry. Okay then. Well, life is not life in the full, as Jesus promised you, if you worry. It's not. It's less than the full. And it is the enemy who comes to steal, to kill and to destroy, to take this life away from you. He hasn't come to steal money from you. He hasn't come to make you sick. He hasn't come to end your life. He's come to steal the life from you, the life of faith from you, that abundant life that he has for you. That's what the devil has come to do. He has come, he's not interested in your money. Your money can keep you in his camp. He's come to steal this life that Christ has for you, this life of faith. And if we worry, he's done it. You see, you mean it's possible to live life without worrying? Easy, simple, easy. You say, how? He tells you. He tells you. He says, verse 34, Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day of his enough troubles of its own. Just take today. Between now and when you go to bed, what have you got to worry about? Tell me. Sorry? Nothing. Nothing. Of course not. Now tomorrow you might have an appointment that you're worried about and the day after and when, when you grow old and will you have enough pension and will your health hold up and you know what's going to happen to your kids and blah, 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 all those things in the future. The word of God says, today I'm going to go home and have some dinner with my wife and kids. Um, I'll put the rugby on. Sorry about that. I'll probably sleep. Hopefully after the final whistle and not before. Okay. Then when I'm rallied, um, we might have a bit of tea and then we'll talk and have fun. What have I got to worry about? We haven't got worries today. 
You're worrying about the future. You're worrying about what's coming. You're worrying, and Jesus says, don't do it. Don't do it. That's it then. See, if you're going to live by faith, you never worry again. You never worry again. Because this book tells you not to worry. Don't judge. Chapter 7, don't judge. Don't judge. Don't judge. Now, we have to look at people, and when people do things, you go, bloody neck, what have they done that for? That's crazy. Doing that is crazy. You're not judging them. We live with people. We're not, we're not condemning them. We're not, we're not doing evil against them. But we have to assess people because our business is people. But that's not judging. If you find yourself judging someone, say, I'm not going to do that. I'm never going to talk to them again. How could they do that to me? I don't understand that. You're judging. He says, don't judge. Because if you do, you're not living by faith. This, this whole thing is geared to be lived by faith. The other type of faith, so we've got justifying, saving faith, and we've got doctrinal faith, and now we've got living faith. Jesus says in John 5, John 5 and 19, He says, I tell you the truth. What does that mean? It means you're not going to believe it. Okay? So listen carefully. Because Jesus doesn't tell lies when he says this. He says, listen carefully because you're not going to believe what I'm going to tell you. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. We're talking about Jesus. He can do nothing by himself. He can only, only what he sees the father doing. And then there's another passage in John 8 and 28. See what it says there. John 8 and 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, that I am the one I claim to be, and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. So Jesus says, even though I am the Son of God, sinless Christ, even though I am this, I will not make a decision about what I do ever, and I will never say anything that I haven't hear, heard the Father saying. Now, if that's true of Jesus, how much true of us? You cannot make a decision in your life you say, well, I'm grown up, I'm adult, I'm capable of doing that. You must not make a decision in your life. You must not do it. You must not make decisions. Let the one who knows the end from the beginning make your decisions for you. Where you will live, who you shall marry, what jobs you should do, how many children you should have. You say, oh, they're major decisions. Well, bring it down into more narrower decisions than that. So you live according to what you see the Father doing and you listen to what he's saying and you only say the same things. God is a God of love. He's a God who builds us up and encourages us. We should only look to see what he's doing. We have to 
Listen to the voice of God. We have to believe that God has spoken. We have to obey and do. Jesus said, when I return, he says it in Luke 18, he says, will I find faith in the earth? Will I find Christians living by faith? Or will I find nice people? He wants to find people living by faith when he returns. Living in a way that we consult God about everything and we say the things that we hear him saying. I love love the humanity of Christ when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane and he knows full well the plan and purpose for his life. It has been, he knows it, he knows it, he knows it and he says to God, can we do this another way? Is it possible that I don't have to go to the cross? Can we, can we sort this out another way, God? He knows the answer. How did he know? Because God had spoken. See, God speaks to you. God speaks to you all of the time, every day, spirit to spirit, because his spirit lives inside you, directing you. Have you ever said, I'll go do something, and then something checks you, and you go do it anyway, and it's disastrous, and you go, why didn't I listen to that voice on the inside and save myself the money, the grief, whatever it is? We have to learn the art of listening to God, because if we do not listen, you can never walk by faith. Faith is hearing God speak, believing God has spoken, and then walking in obedience with him. When I went to Sri Lanka, there's two locations that I went to where they they were developing churches. now, they don't, have, they don't have a bean. You understand? They haven't got any money. Bless them. They're wonderful. I went one place, and he laid out a foundation here and about three courses of bricks. And he walked me around this church that did not exist. He said, that's, that's the office. Uh, these are the toilets. And this is this, and this is this, and this is the stage, and this is here, and this is here. He heard from God, and he believed He started with what he had and he stepped out. This man was living by faith and his congregation was living by faith. I don't know how long. I said, maybe when I come back next time it'll be built. Yes, he says, praise God it'll be built. It might not. Might be a bit built. A bit more built. I don't know. Went to another place and the man was building another church. Enormous church. Uh, The people were buying bricks and buying this and buying that and buying the money. And it was going. Do we want our own building? We don't need it, do we? We don't need it. We meet here. meet here till Jesus comes. If this is not big enough, we'll hire another place and meet there till Jesus comes. Why might we want our own building? Could it be purely as an exercise of faith? You know, 
I'm like you. I tour the country and look at things. You know, you 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 come across a little Methodist hall, and you go in there, and they get about thirty people in there. You know what I mean? You think, why did you bother building this building that is no bigger than a shed? Why did you do this? And it's solid. I mean, it's lasted for 150 years. It's not going anywhere. These little Methodist things. You think, why did you bother? You could have met in the back room of a pub, you know what I mean, or in someone's house. Can I suggest to you it was an exercise of faith? That's it. I think we should build a church as an exercise of faith and nothing else. And for no other reason. See, in the West we're pragmatic. Well, if we're pragmatic, we don't need to have a building. But we need to do something that we're building our faith. You say, well, how much would a building cost? Well, if we renovated the centre down there, it might cost half a million. Have we got half a million? Yep, you're probably right. Between us, we've probably got half a million pounds. Between us. So let's build a bigger one. Have we got two million between us? If we only build one costing half a million, it's not worth building. I mean, you're going to have to empty your bank balances. I understand that. But we could do that. That wouldn't take faith. You understand? It wouldn't take faith. We have to live by faith. We have to live by faith. We have to have projects to live by faith. We have to be like Peter and say, bid me come out the water so I can stand on the water. Bid me come. Come on, church. We have to build by faith. I have a responsibility to make sure that you grow in love and faith. That's it. I've got to challenge you. The rich young ruler that came to him he said, he said, I've kept all the law. And Jesus said, that's true, you have. He says, take all the money you have and get rid of it and come walk by faith. So he couldn't do it. See, he could keep the law, but he couldn't walk by faith. Christians love to keep the law. They love to put themselves under law and keep the law. No. We must develop love in our hearts and what by faith, faith, faith. From one degree of faith to the next degree of faith. I want my life constantly to be challenged. And I'm fearful all the time. So no, I just want things secure and nice and comfortable. But you can have it, but you won't walk by faith. Faith is risky. Faith is dangerous. Faith is daring. Faith is exciting. Faith is what it's all about. Trusting in a God who is watching over us to meet us. There was a woman once who, 
she bled terribly, woman's problem. Went to all the doctors. He could do nothing. I think one day God spoke to her and said, if Jesus passes by, just touch him and you'll be healed. I can imagine rising one morning and hearing the commotion in the street. So she goes to the door and she looks out and she says to the neighbour, what's going on? And the neighbour says, Jesus is coming. And now the heart starts to beat, you know. She remembers what God has said, not as though she could ever forget what God had said. You just touch his clothes and you'll be healed. So she's thinking, maybe he'll knock at the door. Maybe God would send him to me. No, God never makes it that easy. Don't worry about that. It's never that simple. So she sees him coming from a distance and he's getting closer and closer and closer and closer until he's opposite the front door. She's thinking, was that God? Was that God who spoke to me? Was that real? Did I imagine that? Was, that, did, was it just me? Just I wanted to get well and I heard these stories so I believed that if, if I could do this somehow it would happen and surely Jesus will come to the front door but he's not, he's passing by. See, we can do that. He speaks and he passes by. And we go... God never intended that anyway. Oh, but he did. He did. He did. But you wouldn't move. But she has the courage to go for it. And she pushes her way through and she gets in underneath and she touches the hem of his garment and she on the floor and she doesn't know if she's still sick or healed. Because the pain is not continuous. It comes and goes. So she says, am I just stupid? Am I a fool? Is it, I don't know what I'm doing. Is it, is it just my wishful thinking? And Jesus, he says, who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples said, what are you talking about? They're all pushing in on you. No, he said, you don't understand. Someone drew something from me by faith. And then he looks and he sees between the legs of this woman, this woman crouching on the floor. He says, was it you? She looks up and he says, your faith healed you. Not me. I was a channel for the power of God to enter in you. Your faith healed you. She could have missed it. It could have been gone. How many times have you missed it? How many times have God spoken to you and you missed it? You missed an opportunity. You missed a door that was open. I think there are Scores, if not hundreds or thousands of people that should be in full-time ministry and they've missed it because they haven't responded 
to the call of God when he called. They didn't respond. They were afraid. Of course you will be afraid. That's the whole point. That's what makes it faith. The fear makes it faith. People who get medals for being courageous, if you ever interviewed them, they said, yes, I was terrified. But I was compelled to go. You must respond to the compelling of the Spirit of God. She could have stayed in that room and made excuses for herself and bled until she died. God called us to a life of faith. God bless you.